I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. If you're considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right is your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right tackles topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen and bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company Black Dog Builders in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. So welcome back to another Renovation Made Right episode. I know. We're very excited here. We have another guest, so I don't have to talk directly to you anymore, which is really always a bonus No, I'm me. kind of offended. I can't believe you would say that. I thought you enjoyed talking to me. I do enjoy talking to you, but not all the time. Well, <laughs> fair, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So today, um, we're bringing some new information, some uh, uh, sort of in another dimension, uh, and we're going to be focusing on stone and, granite and quartz countertops, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we've got a guest with us today. It's Brett Morris from Topline Granite Design in Tingsboro, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Right? So for those of you, we had, like I said the other day, I'm very excited about the fact that we have an Australian listener. So this means nothing to the Australian listener, but thank you for being with us, mate. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so Brett's, Brett is a project manager at, uh, at Topline and spends his time uh, helping consumers uh, through the process of getting the right stone that they want uh, and all the decisions that have to go around that. Now, you know, we do, in addition to full-service remodeling work in our company, we do a lot of kitchens and a lot of bathrooms. And today, almost exclusively, we're doing some variant of, of stone, stone, right? Yeah. Um, while way back in the day, we might have done a lot of corian or some laminate and so forth, uh, today, Virtually all of our surfaces are stone, maybe an accent area that's wood or something like that, but that's the exception. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because it used to be, you know, 50% laminate, 25% Corian, mm-hmm. 25% granite. And the granite was, you know, the, the top end. And But the costs have come down so much. So yeah. bef- I'm not going to keep talking. Yeah. So let's, w- with no further ado, <laughs> right. let's go ahead and bring uh, Brett in. Brett, welcome to uh, Renovation Made Right. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. All right. That's great. So uh, we were talking a little bit uh, off the air about a bunch of different things to catch up on. First, um, why don't we start with helping consumers understand some of the basics of shopping for granite and and some of the things that you know granite's a very competitive business. You see constantly yeah, people, absolutely. right? And you you know consumers are constantly confronted with X number of dollars per square foot for this or X number of dollars, but it's not always as black and white as that. So help help us understand when a consumer comes to uh, to the point where they're making choices about granite. What are the things that drive decision? Why is there such a variety in price? Um, you know. It, and there's, I'll, I'll let, we'll start there and I got some more questions after that. I'm sure Brenda does too. Yeah, yeah for sure. So from a base level perspective, um, granite it would be your cheapest option for stone. Um, and from, from there, you have uh, many, many different, to say you're going to buy stone is to say like you want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. How big is the house? How nice is the house? What are you going to furnish the house with? Okay. So you could have something like a Bianco Sardo, which is going to have a tighter grain. Um, that's typically what your level one stones are going to look like. They're going to have a, you know, grainy aspect to them. And then once you get into solid colors, it can get a little more expensive. So the let's veins, talk about level. movement. For sure. Let's, yeah. So you just said level one. Mm-hmm. How many levels are there and what do the levels mean? And what is one good or, or five bad? Or what, like how's, what's, one, what's level mean to the consumer? Yeah. So level one would be like a builder grade. 
Mm -hmm. um, then you get into levels twos and threes. Those can have a little bit more movement, some more crystals, the things that are more um, appealing to consumers. Kay. And then level fives. And then again, this is all based on how we look at it. Mm -hmm. You could go to a different shop and they might have a different pricing structure. Sure, sure. Um, then you're talking, once you get to level five, you're talking about like marbles and quartzites and things like that. So, okay. so mm -hmm. what makes them more or less expensive? I mean, um, I'm assuming that, I and I, I do know the answer to this, but I'm assuming that uh, a level one, granted, is not necessarily going to be any better or worse in terms of wearability yeah, than a level actually, five. Yeah, the funny thing about it is is that level one stones, um, they tend to be easier to maintain. <laughs> okay. Okay. They, they chip less, they're denser. Um, once you get into the higher level stones, it's actually um, more difficult to maintain. You have to worry about staining. You have to worry about etching. Yeah. Well, and there's some stones that are essentially just more frail, right? They're mm -hmm. more fragile. Exactly, yeah. Right. So that, that plays a part into the cost as well is the logistics of actually getting it here. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's just the availability of it. And So if something is more rare, it's more expensive. As precisely, yeah. And if the demand, common, the demand right. is higher. Mm -hmm. So particularly in the high-end market, something we're seeing a huge spike in now is the statuarios, the Calcuttas. These are the white stones with the gray veins that move across mm -hmm. them. They look mm -hmm. beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. They're hard to get, though. Okay. And is that because of where in the world they're coming from? Like, so, so is it fair to say that granite comes from, like, how much of the world does granite come from? Where do people mine? I know, you know, there's granite that gets mined in Vermont, right? Yeah. In yeah. New Hampshire. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of that is often just, like, curbstones like you might see on highways. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the foremost exporters of stone are going to be um, Brazil, mm -hmm. India, China, and Italy. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. um, so in Italy, you have a lot of the nice exotic, for instance, Carrera. Mm -hmm. It's a timeless stone. Mm -hmm. We've been using it for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, that stone is primarily sourced there. You have the statuarios. And then um, Brazil, you're going to have things like uh, super whites. And they also have some of the base level stones. Mm -hmm. um, China comes in and people are like, wow, China exports stone. That is, um, they're, just because they're such a manufacturing economy, mm -hmm. they buy blocks from all over the world and process them there. Ah, so, oh. so the stone so is, not not being is not being quarried there. Yes. Interesting. Oh, interesting. I didn't well, they, they do have quarries. They do offer stone. Um, it's just not as popular on the market. But mm -hmm. one of their, their strong suits is uh, manufacturing blocks from overseas and then sending them there. It's crazy because the cost is so... Uh, minuscule over there for labor. Mm -hmm. right. So that's what allows them to do that. And you're so like, they, why, they can, they can why still can justify this moving this massive block of stone. They can still justify get, shipping that to China. Mm -hmm. And then that's, shipping it back to the United States. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I, I read something that was pretty interesting that um, in England, right, they, they love fish. Everybody knows they love fish over there. Mm -hmm. So it was actually cheaper for them to fish over there and then send it back to China to be processed, send it over to China, excuse me, to be processed and then send it back to England as opposed to just, fa uh, as opposed to just uh, process it domestically. That's incredible. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so I want to go back to that point, right? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the issue of, um, of, of the, the less expensive stones, the level ones, sure. actually still being a, from a quality perspective and a sort of a usability and probably even for you guys when it comes to installation, right? The installation, there's mm -hmm. you guys have liability. Your guys are, are bringing in huge, heavy stones, yeah. and some stones are just more stable. So very often level one stones, if a client can fall in love with the look of a level one, they're not buying a lesser quality stone, right? Yeah, if no, they're not happy at all. with it, right? Yeah, yeah no, so, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, many times um, it's actually more durable okay. um, than the higher price stones and has less, I would call it, uh, imperfections you'd have to worry about. Um, because if you're buying a stone that has movement, you got to worry about how is this going to seam? 
how is this going to actually look laid out let on me, my let kitchen let countertop? Let me just clarify that because you mm -hmm. said a stone with movement. So I just, for listeners, when we're talking about like static stones versus stones with movement, um, could you just explain what that what that means? What the, sure. yeah. what the word movement means? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I like that term, static. Um, so if you think about it like a... It's too bad it's a podcast. I wish I could paint you a picture. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but it'll have like a series of dots, maybe three or four different colors of dots all the way around. That would be a static. Um, that would be a static display because it's no. fairly consistent, right? The stone, exactly. the stone looks uh, yeah. similar all over. Right, mm -hmm. right? exactly. Okay. Ones with movement are going to have veins. They're going to have characteristics. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and and consequently, there's almost like no no two stones alike. No, right. no, exactly. Yeah. And when you, it's actually fabricated from a block. So they take it out of the quarry in blocks, and then they slice it like like a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see when we have a bundle, for example, of slabs in our warehouse, you can see the the vein move across it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, through with through different slabs. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and so uh, I've also seen uh, some of your stone come onto our projects, and the underside of the stone has what appears to be like fiberglass on the bottom of yeah, it. Yeah. Right? So that's when we're talking about a fragile stone that they yeah. have to do things to. Yeah, right? it's a fiberglass mesh backing. Um, it's, it's meant to just keep it in place and keep it. Sometimes they have fissures. They have like uh, veins that run through the stone, so right, they just want to keep it from, from breaking. Mm -hmm. Sure. It also makes it easier for us on fabrication. We don't have to worry about the stone splitting and things like that. Okay. Right, right. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, what else? So, can, one of the things consumers I know contend with is okay, um, not only do I have to make my stone choice, I also think about what the edge of the stone is going to look like because that's exactly. part of what you guys do to fabricate. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. What, what kind of options do clients have and what, what should drive decisions? Yeah. So I guess it all depends on what is the look that you're trying to achieve. Uh, we offer several different edge profiles. Um, we can do almost anything, actually. Um, but you could just go with a square eased edge, also known as a pencil edge. Mm -hmm. uh, you could have a rounded edge. It's, that's very popular. And it also minimizes chips, like a 3 8 radius edge or a half a bull nose. Okay. Um, there's also more uh, elaborate edges, like an OG edge or a cove edge and things like that. Those are great. But I do hear complaints about uh, cleaning over time, yeah. like dust tends to settle in the crevices. Mm -hmm. um, and certain stones just don't take it, actually. Um, if you have a really hard stone, so the hardest stone that you can buy on the market is called a quartzite. It's extremely dense. Mm -hmm. um, but some quartzites, when you try to do a fancier edge on them, they don't take it. Right. It's and, just and too hard to, to move exactly. it. Exactly. Right. And um, one of the most popular edges we're seeing emerge now is the, the, the miter edge. Everybody loves it. The waterfall edges, the apron edges, the built-up appearance. So mm -hmm. if you look in a, a modern uh, architectural magazine, you might see a picture of an island that looks like it's three inches thick. Right. That stone isn't really three inches thick. What they do is they miter the edges at 45 degrees and laminate them together. Mm -hmm. So it appears to be that thick. Mm -hmm. right. They also show the same thing, you know, with islands where you actually have a piece of stone that goes up vertically and then horizontally and then down vertically the other side, right? Yeah. You're almost wrapping the island on three yeah. sides, which is a really cool look. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. And, and so um, as, as consumers are thinking about uh, the process, walk us through what happens um, after somebody buys. So they, they, they come into your showroom and they say, okay, but we'd like this stone um, and, you know, our kitchen's being remodeled in three months. What's going to happen? Like, how, how does the consumer, you know, what's the next thing that happens? Right? Okay. So the first thing we're going to want to do is educate them about what the process is going to be like. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we need to know is when are these cabinets going to be installed? Um, what we need as far as the installation goes, the cabinets need to be level. They need to be secure. They need to be in their final place. Mm -hmm. um, after that happens, we're going to tell them, give about a 
For us, it's about a week heads up to get on our template schedule. We come in, we do a digital template on site. Now that's that's really cool. Let's talk. I've seen this happen, so it's it, it's it's as a the kind of techie is very interesting to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So tell me, like, for what does that look like? Help, help somebody understand. Well, let me just interject that the templates, like when we first started, were like people coming in with either Luon plywood or or cardboard, or cardboard and yeah. actually making just a, a mock up essentially with of a hot glue gun. They would actually right. mock up the old shape. That's right. out the window now. Yeah. Yeah, they, they used to make like a physical template right. of mm -hmm. it. Um, and there are still situations in which that we, we, we use it if it's a really hard fixed measurement. Um, walls, it's an excellent place to do them. It tends to, the digital machine tends to not work as well in vertical applications for whatever yep. reason. Mm -hmm. um, but so this is what will happen. You come in, we come in, the um, cabinets are all set up for us. We have this machine that's on a tripod and it actually shoots those digital dots that we connect and we program into a CAD. It's actually a DXF, a DXF file. Mm -hmm. And that maps out the entire, we map out the cabinet bases, the sinks, everything. And then we'll actually show you with the uh, a full representation of what it's gonna look like before we fabricate it. And one thing for the consumer standpoint that I really encourage is for you guys to be there during that template. Because then you can go over things like Oh, my overhang at the island. Do I want nine inches? Do I want twelve inches? Mm -hmm. The corner radius. Do I want it to be a sharp corner? Do I want it to be a rounded corner? Right, right, right. Yeah. Or, or again, just reiterate like how high you want the backsplash to be, or is there a plug in the way? Like, how do we deal with that? Exactly. That kind of stuff, yeah. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And I want to circle back to something you mentioned, just because as a carpenter, um, I think it's important, and I don't think a lot, and I know that in your world, it's not always like this, right? Yeah. But, it, but. When you show up at a job site, if the cabinets are not level and not straight and not secured well, it makes your life living hell, right? You can't, oh, yeah. you can't essentially do it. So, so, so glossing like, and sometimes carpenter, you'll be in a point in the job where people rush to get to templates. So they need to get because there's other things that have to happen, and mm -hmm. and and sometimes the kitchen installation can't move forward until the template's done, right? Yes. And so you know, showing up on site, if you don't have a contractor who's getting that part of it right. The rest of it doesn't go well. So, so level cabinets that are secure and and easy to work off of are a big deal. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And if if it's not, then sometimes what happens is, well, people will ask us, well, why can't you just do it anyway? The cabinets are here; you can figure out the dimensions. Yeah, it really doesn't work that way. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And that's frustrating for everybody, right? So, you, you know, consumers get frustrated. The schedule moves back and so mm -hmm. forth. So, um, so for the homeowner, making sure that their carpenter and their contractor understands what's expected, and this is not their first cabinet installation. That's a yeah. that's a big deal because it yeah. affects things downstream. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah, hundred so. percent. Yeah. And then for what we aim for after we get the template is uh, seven to ten business days for us to process, fabricate the stone, and then installation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a good, that's a nice quick turnaround time. I, we've been doing this for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, when you say 7 to 10, you're saying 7 to 10 business days? 7 to 10 business days yeah. is yeah. what we guarantee. Right. It's very, very common for us to do it faster than that. Um, yeah, I, I see cal say, yeah, a calendar half the time week. you guys are back within around a week. Yeah, yeah. we shoot for about a calendar week. Yeah. 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 And that and so for a consumer to understand what that means, that's, uh, you know, uh, I've been to your facility, which is very cool, and you've got a bunch of CNC machines that, mm -hmm. you know, take the slabs. And, but that's, you know, that's somebody, you know, managing the process of taking a, a flat piece of rock and turning it into exactly what you what what needs to fit in that home, plus mm -hmm. plus all the edge treatments, plus the polishing, all that stuff, exactly, plus yeah. the sink cutouts and the faucets and all that kind of stuff, right? right? So there's, it's not it's not just oh let's grab it off the shelf and bring it out to the house. There's a lot to it. Right. right? I have a question. So like I said in the beginning, um, way back when. 
granite was the ultra, the most expensive yes, product that you could get. And and it was rare and unusual for clients to want to pony up the money to, to do that. Mm. But the costs have come down significantly. Why is that? The technology, I think, is the foremost thing. Um, what these machines can do is uh, absolutely amazing. You, you've been to our facility, uh, Dave, and seen, yep. seen what they can do. Um, they, they can do, we can cut a kitchen in like 45 minutes or less. Um, the machine's actually so fast, the machine that we cut it on, it has two tables. Mm -hmm. Half the time we can even load the next table before it's, it's done cutting. Wow. So I think one of the main things is, is the technology. I think the next thing was probably be the market grew. Mm -hmm. And um, we started getting more saturated with these products, and then there's more fabricators, which naturally just supply and demand right. drives, um, down, the drives down the cost. Yeah, okay. yeah, but and that's an important thing. So um, I, I guess just like my my comment about the installation cabinetry, you said there's more fabricators. Not all fabricators are the same. No, right? not at all. And, and and that's a big deal. And so as consumers are looking, if you get if you're seeing numbers that are unrealistically or not, I should say unrealistically, that surprisingly low in cost. Yes, there's typically a reason. Yeah. yeah right? So let's hear some of those reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so if you go to a fabrication shop, you can go to, I call them garage shops. Mm -hmm. There might be guys, they might not even have a table. They might just be fabricating with grinders. Sure. Mm -hmm. It's possible to do, um, but it's much more, it's a much more flawed way to fabricate. So you want to make sure you're going to a fabricator that has the adequate machinery. Mm -hmm. um, most, most, if they don't want to let you see their shop, there's probably a reason for it. Because okay. yeah, it's a big capital investment to have good equipment, yeah. right? It is. Yeah. And, and we have not talked yet about... Um, any of the, the manufactured products, and we will get into that maybe in the next show because yep. I don't know if yeah, they have well, enough In fact, time. that's a good idea. We'll leave, we'll, we'll leave the quartz stuff, which is a, is a big topic. We'll talk about that in our next episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I did want to, so when we're talking about manufacturers, one of the things that I just read an article on within the last year um, is a thing called silicosis, and I think it, it, it plays into that idea of, like, you know, manufacturing uh, countertops in your garage. Yeah. And so could you tell me a little bit about silicosis, what that is, who that affects, and why you want to go to a, a fabricator that is set up properly? Yeah. So silicosis has become something that's much more in the public eye now. Many people are aware of it. There are plenty of OSHA standards on how we should cut things on site. Mm -hmm. um, so it gets in the air. It's like a, this particulate gets in the air whenever we cut something. If we do a, a faucet hole or if we have to cut an edge or something. Mm -hmm. um, when that particulate gets in your lungs, it's, it's, it's no bueno. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it actually, there's nothing, your body doesn't know what to do with it and it just sits there and it, it's a known carcinogen. Right. Um, yeah, and I feel like people are dying, like fabricators are yeah. young men. Right, yeah. you know, in their 30s and 40s, are actually essentially it's suffocating. Yeah, absolutely. And right. It used to be really common in quarries um, because they, they didn't know about it mm -hmm. back then, and they were just walking around through all this stone dust. And over time, they realized that they were dying, sort of like you know, uh, uh, miners used to die die from the, the black lung. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just something we know about now. And so one of the things that I notice when I when I went to your shop. Uh, is that when all the saws are running, there's always water. Yes. Right. So, so you're you're cutting and cooling with water, and mm -hmm. consequently, you are capturing the bulk of the the dust by cutting with water. Exactly, right? and that's the right way to do it. The number one way to mitigate it is with water. It, it prevents the dust from even getting into the air. Right. The next thing would to do would be if you have to dry cut it for some reason, you want to use a HEPAVAC attachment to make sure it cuts it catches all the particulate that comes out. Okay. But again, water's your friend. Right. And so and so that's that's you know, say dry cutting. That's the kind of thing where there might be some fine tuning or some trimming that might have to occur on mm -hmm. site right? yeah. during the installation. Mm -hmm. And and being cognizant of that so that uh, being cognizant of the fact that there, something's gonna come in with a HEPAVAC 
which isn't just, you know, that's not like your shop vac that you pick up at Home Depot. That's exactly. a different quality of equipment. Yes, right? that's, exactly. that's designed and geared for the tool. Mm -hmm. So once again, it goes back to talking about who's going to be in your home and who and and are they equipped well have they invested in their in their in their trade and, and are they, are they protecting right? their employees so like right. that's a that's a big thing right. I, I think everybody who's buying something if you're if you're buying something and it's potentially cause costing the health of some employee down market that's wrong right, right? Yeah. you know you need to think about like and it's a good question to ask if you're if you're buying from somebody who's low cost what are you doing to protect your employees from right. this yeah safety exactly. should absolutely be uh, your number one priority Right. And on that note, when we talk about the differences between uh, maybe a garage shop fabricator and a more established fabricator, mm -hmm. um, there, what, what, think about what we're going to do. We're going to bring thousands of pounds of stone into your home and put it on your countertop. Mm -hmm. What happens if one of these guys uh, drops on his toe? You know, knock on wood. Right. <laughs> I know you told me not to do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, do they have the proper insurance coverages? Right. You know, are, are they are they covered for that? Because it happens all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. it's a very you're, dangerous you're speaking our language. Yeah. yeah, and I know you deal with it too because, right. you know, uh, well, anybody just can just call themselves a contractor. Didn't Wellington just hurt us? Who? No, it was one of the one of the guys. I was out hmm? at, at your shop that, that landed on their toe, and luckily it didn't it didn't do anything terrible. But yeah, holy yeah, we've, cow. we've been lucky that nothing um, too unfortunate has happened. We have some some minor injuries, but nothing. Yeah, you know, but too you guys do, you guys do a lot of volume. It's impossible mm -hmm. not to have some things happen. But but being safety conscious is the uh, that's the ultimate solution, right? Yeah. And it's good for everybody, right? Yeah, and it really should be everybody's number one priority. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, so while we're on that, um, what that's one of the things that's always amazed me is um, what you guys work with and have to handle every day mm -hmm. is heavy stuff. It's it, awkward, heavy stuff. Yeah. How, you know, what do, what do you do? And sometimes it just, it, there's points in the process where I guess you can use some equipment to make it easier, but at some yeah. point in time, it's just it's strong just, guys lifting stuff heavy. Yeah, yeah. Right? exactly. Um, I, I truly, I don't know how they do it, you know. Uh, I've gone to the gym for years, and some of these guys, they put me to shame. They really do. I, don't, I, I, I really don't know how they do it, but they, they manage to. But it's so strange because you're talking about it's not just heavy. It's also awkward. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have, like, an island, even if you have six guys, how can all those six guys distribute the weight to get it up the stairs? Right. It's a real challenge. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's super hard. And, and the last thing you want to do, and, and granted, it's not very forgiving, right? No. <laughs> if you drop a piece of stone, something's going bad, right? right. Yeah. You know, either right. the stone, and so. You know, the person lands onto the floor, it lands onto the stone itself, something's breaking. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. And so one of the other challenges with, with fabricating stone, if uh, I believe you'd agree with this, is is seaming, right? So, yeah. um, you know, when back when Corian was a popular product, mm -hmm. Corian would. You could, they used to sort of call it seamless, and that's really not true. It's low visibility seams, right? Really, mm -hmm. But a good Corian job, you could virtually never find um, the seams, right? Right. That's not true of stone. Virtually all stone seams are, are, are higher visibility. Mm. Um, but, uh, but talk to us a little bit about what's involved in seaming. And, and because you'd like to have as few seams as possible, that forces your guys into moving bigger pieces of stone, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't want them. Exactly. Right? It's the bane of our existence sometimes. Right. But it's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the th main things you're going to want to consider when you're talking about buying your countertop is where are these seams going to go? Um, how are they going to flow with the rest of the stone? A lot of people choose to put them at the sink mm -hmm. um, just because it's the smallest amount of area that you would have a seam. Right. Um, but some people also, they don't like that because it's also the most visible area. It's mm -hmm. there you're going to spend the most time at. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about seam location at sinks in terms of durability? Is that a, is that a thing, or can you make them just as good as any, at anywhere else? Um, I think they work out pretty well ar around the sinks. Um, 
One thing you don't want to do is you never want to put it above a dishwasher. That is because the vibrations from the dishwasher will oh, break the seam over time. Loose, yeah. So it's something that we have to be cognizant of too. Even when I'm pricing a project, I, I need to tell the customer how many how many slabs are going to require. Um, I need to make sure I'm not putting that seam at a dishwasher location because then it could screw everything up. Right, mm. right. I, I actually didn't even know that. No? <laughs> I did not know that was a problem. <laughs> thank, that, thank you for being that's here probably today. good. <laughs> We're smarter. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. If you don't know, that's because it hasn't happened yet for you. So. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, um, okay, so so that's helpful. And, and uh, when you guys do the seams, what, I mean, I've seen this happen, so mm -hmm. I know what's going on, but yeah. it's a pretty cool process. Yeah. And, uh and, and you you don't just put the two pieces of stone together and walk away. No, tell, tell no. us about that. We use, an, we use epoxy, and we, it's basically just a glue. Um, we color match it to the stone tone. Mm -hmm. um, one of the funny things is one of the best guys I've ever seen at doing this, he was colorblind. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> really? he, said he, he said he could just see the, the shades better somehow because of the fact that he couldn't see color. Um, but it was really strange how it worked out. Wow. But we take the glue. Um, we we call we put the color in. It's well, you see they almost have like a palette of colors. Mm -hmm. They mix it up, like a like a little uh, Michelangelo, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, and then they uh, they put it on. We have uh, rivets cut into the stone, mm -hmm. or like uh, what you would call it. But we take a grinder and we open up the thing. We open up the uh, edges so that way it's going to bind better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then we we put it on. We clean it up. We put on this machine that actually compresses it and moves it in as close as possible. So, um, so it's like suction cups, right? Exactly. You put suction cups on either side of the joint, and then those two sections pull toward each other and pull the joint tight. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, and then we clean it up, and at the end of the day, usually you can't see it unless, you know, you're looking at it. You won't notice it normally. Right. 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 Yeah, sometimes when I've been designing kitchens, uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually make a call, like, do we want, how big do we want this island based on how big... A slab can yeah, how big of a slab can you possibly right. get? Or mm -hmm. vice versa, going to pick out granite, knowing that the island is a you know an eight foot seven, you know, and it affects what slabs you can get. Yeah. Right? You know, you say, okay, this one's not going to work because you're going to need to seam in the middle of it, and do you really want to seam in the middle of your island in a really visible place? Exactly. So yeah. So that's excellent information about seams. We um, the ne the one thing we didn't get into, which is a big topic, we're going to do that on our next show is sort of the world of quartz, which is essentially man-made stone. And so we're going to get into that next. Uh, want to uh, want to thank Brett Morse for being with us from Topline Granite Design in Tingsboro, Mass. And uh, we will be back with another episode before you know it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I'm right. Brenda Bryan. And I'm David Bryan. Thanks for being here with us at Renovation Made Right. All right. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.